I awoke to the smell of bacon. I opened my eyes, rolled over to my side, and stared at the digital clock on my bedside table. 9.27. I sat up abruptly, swung my legs over the side of the bed, and immediately regretted it. Fifteen seconds later, I was in the bathroom, heaving into the toilet. My stomach recoiled with every constriction of the overlying muscles, but I was at the mercy of my body's uncontrollable need for release. I sat on the edge of the tub in a cold sweat, working up the energy to turn on the water. I could hear sounds coming from the kitchen, and as much as I wanted to go out there and find out if it was who I thought it was, or who I hoped it wasn't, I couldn't summon what was necessary to complete the task. Staying in the bathroom as long as possible seemed the safest recourse. When the water heated up, I stepped into the shower and stood with my hands planted against the tile, the hot stream pounding on my neck. Unwanted images from the previous night flashed amid the white pinpricks behind my closed eyes and no amount of blinking or rubbing them would make them go away. When I turned the water off, I heard faint murmurings of conversation. Nothing I could make out, just a quiet lilt of back and forth. I went back into my bedroom, found a pair of jeans and a shirt, got dressed and walked into the kitchen just as Carla turned around to set a glass of juice in front of Trudy, who appeared to be finishing breakfast. Both women looked up at me at the same time. Carla pulled another plate from the cabinet while I grabbed a coffee cup, filled it, and sat down across from Trudy. There was a long and unpleasant silence set against the sound of eggs frying. Finally, Trudy said, I'm sorry, Dex. She chewed a mouthful of bacon. It was a shitty thing for me to do. You being trashed and all, I just... She swallowed and took a sip of orange juice before continuing. I had a real bad night when I opened the door and you were just sitting on the floor like that. She shook her head and shrugged. You looked like you had a bad one too. I drank my coffee, hyper aware of Carla standing behind me at the stove. If it makes you feel any better, you couldn't. I mean, we didn't. She made a strange series of hand motions that involved pointing to her lap as Carla reached around and put a full plate on the table in front of her. Like trying to shove wilted lettuce into a keyhole. The whole conversation was absurd, like Fellini directing an episode of Friends. Trudy mopped up the yellow of an egg with a piece of toast, shoved it into her mouth, sighed contentedly, then stood up. I gotta go down to DHS and see about my food stamps. She was halfway to the door when Carla said, Hey, Trudy. Thanks again for helping me haul him inside last night. Trudy looked over her shoulder and bit her bottom lip while scratching one of the many sores on her arm. Thanks for not being weird about it. Carla sat down next to me with a cup of coffee as the door closed behind my neighbor. Okay, here's what we're going to do. I dropped my head into my hands and groaned. We're going to just labor under the assumption that you are one fucked up individual. And we're not going to discuss the events of last night. 
More than anything, I'd just like to know how you ended up who you are, and whether someone else played a part in that, or if it's all self-inflicted bullshit. I'm also willing to stipulate that I have my own bullshit, okay? Only mine supersedes yours, since right now there's a distinct possibility of it catching up with me sooner than yours will. So you're going to help me figure out if I've got reason to be concerned, and if so, what I need to do about it. Because that's your job, detective. It's what you do. You detect stuff. And how do you propose we go about that? I don't know, but let's get something clear right off the bat. I don't want justice, do you understand? There's no justice for me. There will never be. I don't want that man back in my life. I want to make damn sure he doesn't know where I am, and that's all I want. There's no way to go about that without running the risk of letting him know where you are, Carla. If he does have eyes or ears out on you, any move we make will do exactly the opposite of what you want. Carla thought about that for a long time. The hardness around her eyes slowly disappeared and was replaced with a detached sadness, as she said. Then I guess we do nothing. If there's even a small possibility that anything we do could lead him here, that's it. We're done. What if he's already found you and he's waiting out there somewhere? Carla's face twisted into a brutal grimace. He's not waiting around here. That's not his style. He's a goddamn coward. What he did proves that. If he's done anything, he's sent someone here to find out if Carla Danning is Lucy Rios. And if he does, I asked, not wanting to hear the answer. He'll have someone take care of the problem for him. The person who did what I saw in those pictures is psychotic, Carla. She got up and put the abandoned plate into the sink, trying to distract herself so she wouldn't drift back into that silent place. Tell me what happened. She took a deep breath and spoke from behind a wall she'd built around herself, brick by brick, out of anger and remorse and hate. I told him that I was still in love with my first husband. I wasn't, but I knew it would get to him, and I wanted a divorce. So I said a lot of stuff that I never should have, okay? Stuff that you think about late at night, and you try to make sense of, but it's not meant for anyone else to hear. I did it to elicit a reaction. I wanted him to suffer like he'd made me and my son suffer. Righteous indignation and hate. I guess they're a dangerous mix, Morneau. There's not a day that goes by that I can't smell it. And taste it. Feel it on my hands. Their blood is all over me. I stood up and paced the kitchen, trying to shake that restless feeling that usually preceded the anger. Carla, you aren't responsible. She recoiled as I came near Don't. Come to terms with who I am and the damage that I've done. Don't you dare take away the one thing that I have left. I know who I am, and I'll spend the rest of my life trying to earn it, but I sure as hell don't deserve it. Deserve it? Jesus, did she think people got what they deserved, and deserved everything they got? I took a breath and then blurted, 
I left my wife two weeks before she died of breast cancer. Carla slowly tilted her head up to look at me. She wore a wounded expression, like someone you were meant to protect, finally realizing you don't have the power to do so. It was one of those moments you see coming from miles away. You spend half your time trying to avoid it, the other half making excuses for why you shouldn't have to. We were both swimming in a need so great it rose to a level beyond justification. As I pulled her to me, I knew it was the wrong thing to do. Beneath it all was a desperation that craved a delusion. Allowed me to believe it wasn't a self-serving act to hold her so she could feel something other than an ache that wouldn't ever go away. We were tangled on my bed before I found the resolve to pull myself away. Her reaction gave me a glimpse of what the selfish after would be like. That bitter swell that rises in you when you realize you're still empty. When you understand that no amount of physical intimacy will ever be enough to fill you. Because something inside is either missing or was never there in the first place. Hurt, anger, frustration, and disappointment all colored her expression as she reached up and took my hand tugging me back down. Don't make me beg, you owe me more now. There is something somber about two empty things vainly trying to fill one another. A frantic desire to fix, appease, and console when the source itself is dry. Trying to trick the mind by way of sensation unleashes a flood of emotions that will happily gather to remind you of the ones you are missing. phone woke me up. I felt around on the backside table for my cell phone, but it wasn't there. I sat up and noticed Carla was gone. Something poked at me. An unnerving mix of remorse and disappointment. The incessant ringing continued as I padded around the apartment, finally finding its source in the pocket of my discarded jeans. Yeah, I grunted into the phone. Guess whose prints matched the partial on the handle of the knife? Lash said, with exactly the amount of excitement you'd expect from a man close to solving the last case of his career before retiring to Arizona to spend the remainder of his life never touching another snow shovel. Who? I looked at my watch. 127. Jesus! I never slept in the middle of the day. And where the hell did she go without a car? Sally Wingrove. Didn't see that one coming. I pulled a bottle out of the cabinet and poured a drink as Lash continued. Thing is, with those two, we haul them in for questioning. They'll turn on each other quick. That knife had Sally's print on the end. But it's the only match at the crime scene. All the other prints were smudged. Any ideas how we can get her to break? You've spent more time talking to her than I have. It would make my job a whole lot easier if I had something else on her. Motive would be nice, for starters. 
Stanley mentioned that he and Crystal Bell fooled around a few times. When we asked Sally about it, she said she knew, and they had some kind of understanding. When we first brought it up, I thought I saw something on her face. I don't know. Maybe it bothered her more than she was willing to admit. First time hearing about all this. Sure sounds like a motive to me. Stanley's already screwed with INS. Maybe if we lean on him a bit, he'll give us something we can use on Sally. If he knows she did it, let me know if I can help. Lash grumbled his goodbye and hung up. I did some grumbling of my own 20 minutes later as I walked into the office. Jeez, woman. How are you getting around town? Your sad excuse for a vehicle is still parked at the meanwhile. A cab. I'm a regular now. But it would be nice if you'd drive me to my car at some point today. It's been sitting in the same spot since the knife-wielding maniac incident. And I've only spent about 30 minutes at my own house in the past two days. Which brings me to my next question. Why the hell do you keep leaving without telling me? You think? Considering what's going on, it might be a good idea if you keep me apprised of your comings and goings until we figure this thing out. Keep talking like that, detective, and I might think that you like me. I don't want to have to break in another secretary. Why didn't you pick up your car last night? Because I didn't want to go back there alone. In case you haven't noticed, I'm wearing the same clothes that I wore yesterday. I'm freaked out, Morno, okay? I admit it. Is that what you want to hear? A long silence ensued. It was obvious she was waiting for the lull in the conversation to segue into some sort of observance of what happened between us earlier. I suspect she also knew that if she waited for me to bring it up, she'd be waiting a long time. Uh, Morno, okay, let's just get this out in the open so we don't have to keep stepping over it. I grunted. <laughs> That's one of the things that I like about you. You're so predictable. You've got two basic settings. Sober and evasive, or drunk and unresponsive. Well, catching me somewhere in the middle is your best bet, so we should probably stick a pin in this conversation, I said, knowing full well that would never happen. What happened last night, I enjoyed it, and I'm happy to entertain the idea of doing it again at some point. She tipped her head up and looked at me. I had to stop her before things got out of hand. Carla, I will never... I know, that's why it works. Because I will never either. It's perfect. You're broken beyond repair, and I wasn't built to feel. Not exactly what I expected to hear. What does that mean? Carla's tone hardened. Two marriages told me everything I need to know. She set her jaw and steeled herself against the tears that threatened to come. My son... That was different. I loved my son. But I've never been able to love another human being in a way that I was sad when they were gone. I just... I don't have it in me to feel that way. I wasn't built that way. Uh, Carla, two failed marriages doesn't mean you're not capable of... I stopped talking when her face contorted bitterly. Her voice is quiet and unrelenting as an impending storm. Please don't tell me how I feel, Morneau. I've lived 43 years on this earth. I know who I am. It's bad enough to know that you're missing something. But to have someone try to tell you it's in there somewhere when you can feel the hole? Just don't. 
Don't do that. And if you had that thing, if you really had it, whatever that thing is, well, good for you. And shame on you for not seeing it through to the bitter end. But I know for a fact that there are people who go through their whole lives not knowing what that thing is. So don't tell me. Just don't. The part about me not seeing it through to the bitter end stung. But I took it because she was right. It wasn't anything I hadn't said to myself more times than I could count. But what felt wrong was her giving up on the possibility of feeling like I remember feeling when I first met my wife. I forced myself to reopen that wound from time to time just as a reminder. I don't have to be happy to know happiness is out there. I don't have to doubt its existence simply because it doesn't exist for me. Somewhere out there, a woman just delivered her first child and has already forgotten the pain of labor. Someone had their first kiss and is trembling with the knowledge that they get to do it again. Farmers are tending to crops that will nourish others. And what could be as good and right and natural as that? Thousands of people will die today and leave people behind who are better for having known them. Somewhere out there, there's a kid who just got up on water skis for the first time. And his dad is behind the wheel, cheering him on. There's a whole lot of goodness out there. And even if you can't feel it, doesn't mean it's not there. Finally, I told her, I think you're wrong, Carla, but we can leave it at that. She nodded curtly and then offered me a small smile. But that doesn't mean I don't like sex. Just so we're clear. I hadn't even begun to fashion a response when the phone rang. We both reached for it at the same time. I got there faster. More no, I said, and then listened to the voice on the other end of the line introduce himself as Detective William Sanchez with the Orlando Police Department. He was contacting me because my phone number was listed among those on the caller ID at a daycare where one... Bethany Keene worked and was found deceased. Carla never took her eyes off my face as I outlined why I had called the daycare. I told him I was trying to track down a previous employee for a client but was told she no longer worked there. When he asked for the name, I told him it might be a good idea if I spoke with his chief of police. He wasn't happy about it, but I told him I couldn't give him any more information. When he put me on hold, I hung up the phone. Shit. I paced around the room until I could get it out. Bethany Keene is dead. They got my number off her caller ID. God damn it, Morneau. Carla jumped out of the office chair and grabbed her purse. Where are you going? I don't know, but I gotta get out of here. Out of town. Her eyes darted left and right like a cornered animal. Carla, I grabbed her shoulders. Sit down for a minute. Let's figure this out. There's nothing to figure out, Morno. He found me. That's it. Just wait. Orlando PD will put this together eventually. We need to know what they know. We have to tell them the truth. It might be the only way we can protect you. We've got to work with them. I realized as I said it that we were assuming it was all connected. It was an assumption that my gut told me was right. 
I swear to God, Morneau, if you tell them, I'm here. Then she stopped and laughed. It was the most chilling laugh I'd ever heard. You know what? It doesn't matter. She bolted for the door. I grabbed her arm and yanked her back to the chair. No, you're not. I pulled a pencil and notepad from the desk, shoving them into her hands. We're going to figure this out first. She looked at me like I was nuts as I barked. One, I called Bethany on Monday morning around... I thought about it for a minute. Nine, or 9.30. She continued to stare at me, so I pointed at the pad and yelled, Write it down. Spoke to Bethany Monday between... Make it nine and ten to be safe. Carla scribbled as I continued. Two, Kalamazoo worksite, the buckboard, then Wayne Grove place. Then I found you at the meanwhile that night. What time? I got there around 8.30. I think you came in about an hour later. She wrote it down as I calculated. We were there about an hour before you went outside to get your purse, and then you were attacked. Let's say between 10.30 and 11. I said, as she stared blankly at me. Write it down! Attacked outside the bar between 10.30 and 11. I continued. I took you to my place, swung by your house to check it out, then went straight to the Wayne Grove place. I remember it was right at 11.45 when we went inside to question Sally. Carla scribbled furiously. When was the first time you went back to your place after the attack? Carla looked up, her brow furrowed. I don't know. I can't remember. Think, Carla. This is important. Sanchez will be calling back any minute. I need to know how much to tell them. Nothing. You tell them nothing. Think. The first time you went back to your place after the attack. I watched her eyes skirting around the room, unseeing, as she backtracked through the past couple of days in her head. I took a cab from your place the morning after the attack. I grabbed some clothes at my place and changed. I made the cabbie wait outside because I didn't want to get to the office late. That was Tuesday morning. Then we had the nut job eviction on Tuesday afternoon. After the eviction, we came back to the office. We had that fight and you left. I stayed for a couple hours to get the billing done. I got a cab home uh, around 7.30 or so. Took a shower, got dressed, called a cab to get me. I was there for maybe 30 minutes. Then I went to your place, found you with Trudy, we dragged you inside, blah, 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 and that brings us to today. We had sex, I came here, and you got here a couple hours later. She'd been writing it all down and took the next few seconds to check over it. So I went home twice for a few minutes. I waved her off. Never mind that for a minute. So between 9 and 10 on Monday, when I spoke to Bethany, to the time of the attack at 10.30 or 11 at night... If we assume she told someone about my call fairly soon after I spoke to her... Why would we assume that? If she was having an affair with him before he took off, and now she's dead, there's some kind of link there between you and her and your ex-husband. Husband. Technically, we're still married. Uh, get on the phone and call. What's the closest airport in that area or around the daycare? I asked, picking up the receiver and handing it to her. Orlando International. Why are we assuming whoever she talked to flew in from Florida? Maybe she spoke to someone on the phone. Maybe they flew in from somewhere else. Because they found her in her car with her throat slit. 
The same morning I spoke to her, one of the employees told the cop she was on her way to get some supplies. She never made it out of the parking lot, Carla. It was the middle of the day. The telephone receiver hovered in midair, halfway to her ear. The color drained from her face. Find out about any Monday flights from Orlando to Detroit. I want to get an idea if the timeline is feasible. If whoever Bethany told about my call had time to get here. There were two direct flights out of Orlando on Monday, two different airlines. Both were less than a three-hour flight. There were three that had layovers, and those all ranged around four hours. All but one arrived in Detroit before seven in the evening. Two arrived in late afternoon. Okay, if we assume she's the link, then either she contacted your husband or a go-between and gave them my number. I called the daycare from my home phone, so that'd be the place they'd have to start. That or here at the office, if they did even a cursory check online and traced my name to my business address. We know there was plenty of time for them to get here, but they'd have no way of knowing where you live until whoever they sent got here and started trailing you from the office or my house to yours. The fact that you've been home so little in the past couple of days probably hasn't given whoever this guy is time to get you alone there. Oh, God. What do they want from me? I don't know, Carla. Would he want to grab you up? Do you have something he wants or needs? Or does he just want to find out what you know about his whereabouts? I don't know anything. I don't have anything. There's some reason he's coming after you, Carla. Whatever that reason is, it looks like he didn't want to risk Bethany telling anyone else. We have to find out why. Our only hope might be the Orlando PD. We need to know what they know. No, absolutely not. When I asked her if she had a better idea, she stood up and grabbed her purse again. Yeah, I can get out of town. As she walked toward the door, I sat down in the chair she'd just vacated. Okay, that's a good idea. Go pick up your car, which is parked, by the way, in the last place the knife-wielding psycho found you. If he doesn't get you there, head over to your place and pack a bag. I hope he doesn't catch up with you. I'm guessing he's parked outside, maybe down the street from here. Maybe he's parked somewhere around your place, waiting. And if you do manage to get out of the house with your bag, into your Honda, and then to the airport. Make sure to keep an eye out for anyone you see more than once. That's a good sign you're being followed. You have my number if you need anything. Then I picked up the phone. Carla turned around and sailed across the room toward me, smacking the phone out of my hand. Who are you calling? Thought I'd order a pizza. I picked the receiver back up. She grabbed it and slammed it back down in the cradle. What the fuck do you want from me, Morneau? I want you to fight, Carla. Or was all that talk the other night about wanting to live just bullshit? 